This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Morning, Memphis. I hope you are having a wonderful Tuesday morning here in the 901. Or, you know, hopefully you're listening to us statewide, global-wide. We're on podcast networks thanks to our friends at WYXR and this radio show. So if you have changed the dial, like I just said, you're listening to Meanwhile Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. I am Christy Mullen. I am your host, and I am joined by my amazing wonderful co-host Anna Thompson. Anna Thompson say hello. Hello and good morning. (laughs) Guys we are so happy to be here per usual. Um, We're coming off the holiday weekend. How we feeling AT? A little groggy you know fireworks (laughs) always you know the dog the toddler situation and fireworks don't always mix so well but (laughs) that's fine. Who needs sleep? I'm like that's it's kind of I'm still full from like all the Oh, I will say stuff. Yeah. Summer gets a bad, not a bad rap, but but, I mean, for being real, real hot. Yeah. But the holidays, like Memorial Day, Independence Day, Labor Day, like some good backyard barbecue. Absolutely. So whether that means hamburgers and hot dogs, whether that means actual barbecue, actual barbecue, whether (laughs) that means like brats, like some cornhole. There's actually, um, I don't know if y'all watched it. There's a, uh, I think it's. Johnsonville brought sponsored cornhole <laughs> tournament. That honestly tracks. That happens. It's a great brand. That happens every like Fourth of July or thereabout. And so it's actually been something that I've um, may or may not have watched in recent years. Speaking of stuff you may or may not have watched, can I tell you something I'm very fascinated with? That is super weird. Do tell. The hot dog eating contest, like the professional ones. Have you ever watched them on TV? Not on TV. I think I've probably seen clips after the fact. Okay. I have watched it, and I just sit in awe. Like, it's one of those things where you're like, why am I watching? I can't look away. Look away. But then they're, like, dipping in water and, like, trying to shove it in. And I'm like, I want to throw up, but I'm also seriously impressed. See, what I have flashbacks to, and this I know will date me, <laughs> is the, um, like, Grey's Anatomy, like, I think it's season one or two. They have... <laughs> I like a little thing and Christina Yang I think wins and beats Karev oh, and they're like literally like sitting out there and it's the hot dogs oh because they have a um they have a patient who uh, has like a esophageal like a problem is a competitive okay. eater so that's what they're doing so that's what I'm thinking of it's just like picturing Christina Yang so Sandra trying to solve oh. the problem yeah like in her blue scrubs from Seattle Grace like shoving like wet hot dog buns in her mouth it's just one of those things where I'm like you know how my head goes AT has worked with me long enough at this point I'm like how did you get started on your competitive eating journey where did this maybe that's who we need to have on the show are there any competitive eaters in memphis do we have like a competition in memphis we're gonna get on that um and if, figure if it you out. know of somebody yeah. go ahead and just shoot us an email yeah. at info at new we would we would love to chat we with you we want to interview as person. evidenced by this conversation right here i'm not quite sure how it is mission aligned <laughs> but i promise you we will figure that out hey talent is talent and they live at every corner you can be a competitive eater as a hobby and leading a or fortune 500 org we don't know so true. We'll see. Let's um, not let's not box anybody like, in here. Yes, out of the box thinking, guys. Speaking of being out of the box, that's why we're so happy today to have the guests we have. At, do you want to tell the people 
who we have coming. Absolutely. We have someone who is very, very special to the New Memphis family, the one and only Linda Bailey. She's the founding principal of Linda Bailey Leadership, and she is the former New Memphis CEO. It's just so cool. I'm so excited to dive into this conversation from goals from Memphis to how Creative for Center Leadership comes into play to the Leadership Academy to now what we have as LDI in New Memphis. Just having someone with that institutional knowledge is so cool. It's exciting, too, because of the things about our organization that have changed over the years and the things that have not. I think it's exciting to know that some of the things we are still doing, like bringing people together and making those connections and trying to think of new innovative ways to solve for opportunities in our community are still like the core of what New Memphis is. Mm -hmm. makes me really excited. It's very exciting. And to think about this show and the people we've had on who have said things like, oh, I sat next to so-and-so at a New Memphis event. I sat next to so-and-so at a board meeting or so-and-so in a class. And what transpired because of that connection, to your point, those things wouldn't have happened without New Memphis. And that's just kind of amazing. It's wild, yeah. truly. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to Linda for uh, a myriad of reasons, yes. but that is the chief among them, is what New Memphis is like, what inspired her to start this amazing program and more. Yeah. Let's dive in and get all the knowledge, shall Let's we? Let's do it. All right, guys, we are here with the one and only Linda Bailey. How are you, ma'am? Just great. Thank We're you. We're so happy to have you here with us today, not only because you bring such a wealth of knowledge, but also you have known New Memphis since oh, since it was an infant, essentially, yes. like since its birth. Um, so it's really exciting to get to have you here, and we're excited to dig in a little more about you. Are you ready? Ready. Ready? Okay. <laughs> so... Um, you obviously have a passion for people. You understand how important people and harnessing people's talents are. Where did that begin? Like, I don't, I don't feel like someone's born and it's just like, oh, yes, talent, retention and development. That is what I shall be doing the rest of my life. Um, but how did you get into that? Well, really, I would say that I've always been into leadership. Love that. I never especially sought leadership Mm -hmm. but I was always a leader I can even remember when I was in kindergarten you know bossing people around (laughs) you go here and you go here so you know you don't understand your life sometimes until you look at it retrospectively and I look back and see there always was a pattern around leadership I love that um so how did you begin that as a career though how did you like go from understanding that you had a knack for that into kind of parlaying it into a career. In the mid-90s, I ran this organization, and we had dealt with a lot of different relevant issues, race relations, Mm -hmm. drugs, teenage pregnancy, uh, the growth of black business, and... In the mid-90s, I began to think, I'm going to the same meetings I've always gone to in this community, and we're not getting fresh new answers. Mm. What if we could develop our leaders and help them kind of raise the bar, 
help them to create new solutions to some of our old problems. So I brought the issue of leadership to this board of trustees in the mid-90s, and that was the genesis for New Memphis. Wow, that's so cool. I've never heard it stated like that, and I think I'm taking it back. I think that's really interesting, so I hope our listeners are as well. So that was kind of the genesis of New Memphis, as you said. Talk to me a little bit about that timeline, because, again, you were there from the beginning from where I know there was originally, I believe, goals for Memphis yes. is how it started. How, like, so walk me through that. Like, okay. How did we get to where we are today? I came to work for Goals for Memphis in 1986. Oh, wow. And at the time, we would hold public forums, and we would talk about the issues the community was facing and we would bring community workers together to help create solutions to those issues. So again, we birthed a lot of new organizations, mm. the Minority Business Council, oh, wow. um, the Diversity Institute, and we um, did this for years, beginning with really the Jobs Conference. Mm. And in the mid-90s, I began to think, what if we could create a leadership movement that would really lift everything up, float all boats, mm. provide leadership to all of the organizations that we'd been involved in? So that was in uh, the mid-90s, and I put together a committee of human resource professionals in the city from all of the big companies to develop a leadership curriculum for high-level leaders. In the meantime, I was going around the country experiencing leadership development courses that were already out there. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I was about to say, that that sounds interesting in and of itself. I would love story time on that later. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And I went to San Diego. I'm trying to think what year it was. It must have been... Um, 95, 1995, uh-huh. and went through the Center for Creative Leadership program. And I thought, this is exactly what we want. What appealed to me, and I knew would appeal to our board, was that the Center for Creative Leadership was very grounded and that we already are leaders and we just need to unleash what's inside. This is a similar approach that Goals for Memphis had already had to community problems. We have the answers here in Memphis. Mm -hmm. We just need to convene people and unleash the wisdom they already have. So when I came home, I disbanded the committee and said we must have a partnership with the Center for Creative Leadership. And fortunately, we had someone on our board at the time who had used the center Um, was a big client of the Center for Creative Leadership. And um, he went with me, along with Ann Langston, who was on our board, who was an attorney, to visit the Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro, North Carolina. And we came away with their first community partnership. We held our first LDI class in 1997. Wow. And we spent a lot of time before that signing people up, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting some buy-in. Yeah. Right. We had the notion that if we could sell out the first two classes, 
when we announced this mm-hmm. new organization and we could sell it out with very high-level leaders, then perhaps we wouldn't have to do any marketing. If the program mm-hmm. was as good as we wanted and thought it would be, that it would sell itself. Right, word of mouth would sell, yeah. And that's exactly what happened. I love that. Um, so the Center for Creative, sorry, what is it again? I always just call it CCL. That's right, Center for Creative Leadership. Leadership, okay, so we were their first community partnership. Right. That's a big deal. Well, it was a big deal. They um, Their programs, you would go through their program, there'd be like 25 people in the class, they'd be from all over the country. Right. So we had this what if. You, It was all in one community, and then the people that went through the program could apply that learning to the community. Mm-hmm. They had thought of this, but we came to them with money, yeah. an already built organization, credibility. Absolutely. So you so, brought them the yeah. blocks. So LDI was, was born yes. from that, the Leadership Development Intensive. And okay. Like, yes. Ah, yes. LDI. Yes. Um, so the partnership was obviously a natural fit with CCL, which is the Center for Creative Leadership, guys, that Sorry. are listening. <laughs> I, no, I do it too. Even my notes say CCL. Um, but that is, if you hear us saying that, that is what it stands for, as Linda has so eloquently spoke to it. Um, so we brought these building blocks. We brought that first class to Memphis, sold out cohorts of executive leaders to Memphis from the jump. Talk to me about that first, those first two, I guess, technically classes. What, what, what did it feel like? What was the room like? Just kind of, I feel like I know how powerful LDI is, so I can only imagine going back to those first classes, what just the air in the room was like. <laughs> well, I missed a step, and that was um, we brought our two local mayors, our county mayor, our mm-hmm. city mayor, the governor, and leaders of the city at the time, Fred Smith, okay. Pitt Hyde, yeah. Barbara Hyde. All names Memphians are familiar yes. with, yeah. Yes. Bill Donovan, Mike Rose, Greg Duckett was the chairman of our board at the time. We brought them together for an evening and a half day at the Peabody. Jack yeah. Bells was there, Jack Blair was there from Smith Nephew. And we brought two facilitators in from CCL, and they explained the program. And the objective was to get these people either to come to the first class or Mm -hmm. the second class or to sign up their top person. And that's exactly what happened. So we had high-level leaders in in those first two classes. Again, the two classes were sold out when we Mm -hmm. rolled this uh, press conference out announcing what we then called the Leadership Academy. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, the first class, I would say that we had a lot on the line. Uh, You know, this had to go well. Yeah, you're proving yourself, you kind of feel (laughs) like at that point. It it would be over if these people didn't have not just a good experience, but a transformative experience. At the end of the class, starting with Bill Donovan, each person in the class stood up on top of the table. We got some Dead Poet Society stuff going I know. on in here. Here we go. And gave the class yeah. a standing ovation. That's amazing. Yes. Wow. So we were off and running, and oh, it was just... It was just such a relief and really exhilarating because we'd put so much work 
into selling the class and building the curriculum along with a CCL. And it worked. It worked, and it's worked ever since. It's a, a word-of-mouth marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is the one part of our programming that we do kind of rely on word-of-mouth. We we sell our other leadership programming. It is also very competitive to get into, um, and we sell. But the LDI is one of those now, which used to be Leadership Academy, guys. It is now our leadership development intensive. You hear us occasionally talk about it on the podcast. Um but it is one of those, like, people are like, I never hear you talk about this. It's like, because we don't have to. Like, the leaders, the senior-level executives in our community do kind of love somebody. And I cannot recall which executive said this the other day. They said that the going through the LDI was almost better than therapy for them. Oh, wow. And it was just one of those things where until you experience it, you don't know what you're missing out on. Something I think is interesting, too, about what you said is I forget, like, how much was on the line Mm -hmm. and how many big stakeholders, like you mentioned, were in the room. So there was, like, really not a whole lot of room for error if that, like you said, if it were to fall short, everyone would be in the room to know it (laughs) fell short. So that's a lot of pressure. Well, it was, and I'd like to recognize uh, Pitt and Barbara Hyde because they convened this group of leaders um, for us. Mm -hmm. And so... They used a lot of chits. Yeah. So they had a lot of faith in us, and uh, we needed to be successful <laughs> for them, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, it's uh, it's kind of exhilarating still to think about. It's so cool to look back on and just be like, I did that. You have had such a long, illustrious career, but you started this thing though that is still in existence today so when you made the decision to kind of step away from new memphis you still have been i mean to this day you're still so involved with the program how do you balance the two like what made you kind of want to keep doing that but then launch out kind of on your own endeavors i realized early on that what i wanted to do was the leadership development training Mm -hmm. I watched CCL do it, and of all the the issues as goals for Memphis uh, that I led and that we took on, this is the only one I brought to the board myself, Mm. and it it had my heart and still has my heart. So leadership development, I quickly realized, was the way I wanted to spend my time. Awesome. So over your career doing leadership development, which is just cool to say. I feel like we should take a moment for that because congratulations. Yes. Um, But what has been one of your most memorable things that you've done so far in the leadership game, specifically with the LDI? I'm not sure I could name one. That's fair. At the end of each program, when I see the change Mm -hmm. that it has sparked in people. It's so humbling to hear what the graduates of the program have to say about their lives Mm -hmm. and how open, transparent they are. You see new beginnings Mm -hmm. and I think you see so much hope. Yeah. Hope for individuals and their individual lives but hope for memphis i love that i think you just kind of touched on something that i feel like people often forget is that leadership takes an insane amount of vulnerability 
Like you have to bring yourself and your emotions to the table in order to be the best leader you can be. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? How, how do you, how does one prepare themselves to be more vulnerable in those situations? <laughs> well, you're exactly right. I work mainly with teams mm -hmm. and the foundational issue for effective teams is trust. Mm -hmm. And anything you read in the leadership literature would use the word vulnerability or openness mm -hmm. with trust. So Brene Brown says, it's the last thing I want you to see in me, but the first thing I look for in you is vulnerability. Mm. So as far as leading people to yes. vulnerability, I say it's one toe in the water at a time. Mm. Okay. If that makes sense to you. That does make sense. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, I don't want to call it a slow burn, but it is. It's just, it starts with one toe. You can't, you know, vulnerability is one of those things where sometimes in terms of leadership development, like, no, you just got to get uncomfortable and jump in head first. But being vulnerable and opening yourself up specifically as a leader, no matter where you are in your career from collegians to senior level executives, it is about that one toe at a time before you can fully immerse yourself in the experience and be vulnerable enough for yourself and your leadership. And I feel like the impact that will have for you as a leader for the team you're leading, it has to be astronomical, right? Well, it's what we call the new leader. It shouldn't be that new, but for so many years we had one white male as the leader and supposedly this white one white male knew everything and had all the answers which is such a ridiculous notion but, but retweet <laughs> it's still alive in yeah, some places it is it very much is so the new leader has the humility mm -hmm. um, and the vulnerability to let people know hey i don't have all the answers they have the humility and the common sense to hire people smarter than they are to make other people powerful to look for other people's superpowers yeah do you think that there's been like a cultural shift since um like since y'all started doing these classes in like 1997 do you feel like there's been a change in what leaders like like you said what they look like and how they act i feel like there was almost an old school way of being a leader where you were never you never showed any failure you never never let them see you cry yeah. you know anything like that but now we're talking about being incredibly vulnerable and how that's an asset and i feel like that narrative switched somewhere along the way i think it's been slow but yes mm -hmm. i i certainly see examples of it it takes a lot of self-confidence to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. What people don't understand <laughs> is that other people see your weaknesses anyway. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's well admitted. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's true. That's ooh, that's some truth. Uh, that was like that one just kind of hit me. I'm like, you know what? People do see them anyway. So yes. might as well. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I love that. Um. So you have been involved in the leadership development classes for 25 years and you've missed maybe just one one i was about to say <laughs> i was like I, I feel like the number is maybe one like that's remarkable that's a commitment that frankly i don't know that you get the perfect attendance award i mean that i yeah i mean that's wild that in 25 years you've missed one leadership development intensive class 
So you really have like all of the institutional knowledge when it comes to like what works well, what is, so have there been tweaks to the program over the years? You'd be amazed at how few tweaks we've made. Wow. The program is very similar to the program we had in 97. Yes, we've changed a few activities. Mm -hmm. We've not changed any assessments. And the program works. Yeah. Why? Watch it. Yeah. If it ain't broken, don't they? Yeah. (laughs) I think it's so interesting because I know your process kind of, your process is to work to kind of find individual talents and leadership traits and motivations of people. And then you take that and help people capitalize on them. Like, is that, a, is that a fair assessment? I feel like... It's a very good assessment. Yeah. So, like, tell me a little bit about that and your personal brand of development as a leader and how you know you've, you've helped us with the LDI, you were the implementation, you were there from the jump, and how that's kind of carried on in your personal career. Um, how do you still help leaders get there? Well, I think we've hit upon the fact that it is Mm asset-based. People don't know how powerful they are. And my job is to help people identify the leaders within themselves Mm -hmm. that are already there. Oh, undercover leader. I like where we're going. And and leverage those strengths. We all have strengths. And we all have challenges. Mm -hmm. So I know when... We birthed this organization. I did a lot of reading and was looking for a definition for leadership and just couldn't find one that we could marry to our organization. Uh, I've only recently adopted a definition of leadership, and I say leadership is a promise to take people to a better place. But the how? There's no cookie-cutter approach because we're all different, and we lead in our own unique way, leveraging our strengths, recognizing the challenges that we have, and backfilling and tossing the ball to somebody that has strengths that we don't have. So as far as my development uh, beyond the LDI program, again, I focus on teams Mm -hmm. and what makes teams successful. And... As we mentioned earlier, trust is the foundational issue. That is so interesting to me that I'm going to just say it again for the people listening. Like leadership is a promise to take people to a better place. And I think you've touched on something really incredible that I love is that just because you're a leader doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. Sometimes being a leader is being able to concede that you, in fact, do not. Exactly. And I think that is a crucial point. So. Do you believe, to that kind of effect, do you believe it's ever too early or too late to start investing in your leadership journey and potential? No, not at all. I think we all have some capacity to lead. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, identifying what are those strengths and, and go with those strengths, leverage those strengths. And there's a book that I'm really fond of, Liz Wiseman, called multipliers Mm -hmm. and the notion of leading is that you multiply the strengths of other people Mm -hmm. you lift them up Uh, you find other people's superpowers Mm -hmm. because they don't always know what those are and you either or 
are a multiplier or a diminisher, Liz Wiseman says. So I think sometimes we are unintentional diminishers. Yeah. So we need to guard against that. Ooh, that's a big takeaway. I feel like that's like an action item for anybody listening is to safeguard against that is when you find yourself trying to like put your elbows out and like fend for yourself in the leadership space (laughs) to remember not to be a diminisher of other people's superpowers and that they can have superpowers and just because they do does not take away from yours very good is I think the biggest aha thing that I'm like okay I gotta like that's like a daily reminder we need to continue to like have on repeat yeah it's not (laughs) a competition it's It's not yeah Yeah. she asked a question in the beginning of the book she says do people feel better when you enter the room or do they feel better when you leave the room Ooh. That's a heavy hitter. That's a great, that's a, first of all, that's a great way to start a book because talk about grabbing your attention from the first page. But secondarily, honestly, that is a wonderful question to go through life with. I was about to say, not even just like. Yeah, not just professionally, (laughs) but personally. That is a wonderful way to approach the way you live your life. In relationships generally. (laughs) Yeah. She says, do you have to be the smartest person in the room? Or do you make other people smart? Oh, this you're just like dropping bombs of knowledge on us, Linda. So, question: If you could go back, knowing all that you know now, which is a lot, like knowing all you know now, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what what would it have been? You know, I I really don't know. I think our lives evolve and when you look retrospectively in a fairly predictable way, mm-hmm. but it's hard to know that from the get-go. Yeah. You know, when I look back, I see a pattern of leadership all my life. Mm-hmm. I see a pattern of teaching. Yeah. I taught vacation Bible school when I was about six years old. Okay, BBS. <laughs> I tutored people in high school. Yeah. I was a high school teacher. I look back and I see that there was a pattern, mm-hmm. but it was it would have been hard for me to identify when I was young. Yeah. I think that we naturally gravitate toward endeavors that use our best talents. Mm-hmm. People need to learn to listen to themselves and to listen to what makes them feel strong? What makes them feel smart? What makes them feel powerful? Yeah. What brings them joy? Absolutely. Gosh, it, I feel like that so inherently ties into New Memphis's work and that personal leadership development that we kind of focus on here. And so I want to kind of know from you, what is the biggest difference that you notice throughout your career of those leaders who in, take the time to invest in their leadership journey and those who don't? Mm. Well, I, I feel very strongly that leadership is a lifelong journey that is never over. And I think that my observation has been that highly effective people invest in their own growth mm-hmm. and development. I fully why do you <laughs> why do you think it's so important to develop leaders right here in Memphis mm-hmm. rather than just g- leaders in general? I feel like it would have been easy for you to be like, I love CCL. Let me go work there. 
like let me just move to wherever they are but your your passion for our city and like creating leaders within our own community why do you think that that's so important well this is uh my town as they say and again i've always been involved in this community and i think uh, highly effective people have the ability to frame and reframe problems to look at problems from multiple perspectives mm-hmm. and that's what we try to do at LDI yeah. is provide people new lenses to see themselves to see see others and to see old problems so you know we have a number of graduates <laughs> now yeah so I like to think the talent uh, that is given now toward our community's problems is at a higher level than it's been. There's a lot of work here for volunteers. Yes, a lot of opportunities. That's what we like to say. Yes, lots of uh, opportunities. Exactly. (laughs) Speaking of opportunity, though, how can employers kind of ensure that they're giving their employees that opportunity? So if employees are hungry for leadership, knowledge, and change, how can those listening who may be managers on teams and employers ensure that they're doing what they can do to help their team succeed? Well, I think you have the answer to that probably better than I do. <laughs> All the programs that New Memphis has created yeah. since I exited as the president in 2002 have been so impressive, and you offer leadership opportunities for people at all levels. So I say to everybody, and certainly to the LDI grads, there's no place better to go than to New Memphis to get connected because you have your hands all over this community and you help leaders at all levels. Look, Linda's over here selling it for us still to this day, which is true. That's what we like to say is that we transform Memphis through the power of connection. Connection's what we do best. We may not be the ones saving lives at St. Jude, but we're developing the leaders who are. Um, You know, there's just that's how our reach in the community works uh, is we prepare the leaders to lead the organizations that are making impactful change in our city possible. Um, And so you really touched on that. Something that I'm curious about, and we touched on it a little bit, I'm going to gain all the knowledge while you're here, Linda. I'm sorry. <laughs> you t- we touched on it a little bit about like challenges, right? Memphis is a city that has challenges. Every city does. But something we're seeing globally is kind of we're coming off a pandemic. We are in the middle of a great resignation. We are on the precipice of people talking about a recession. Inherently, that scares talent, right? <laughs> like, as a leader, you start to get nervous about your talent possibly leaving. You start to you talk about talent retention, which is what we do. Um, what is your advice purely to those in leadership as they navigate these kind of r- rough waters, I think is fair to say? Um, like, what, what would your advice be for people in this time? Well, I think history shows us that... We, when there's a crisis of any kind, it opens up so much opportunities mm-hmm. for leaders to come in with solutions. So all you have to do is look around. I've always believed that you should approach your community work around what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So where does your greatest passion meet the community's greatest need? Mm. 
Well, I know another another truth nugget coming out there. I'm like writing it down as I'm like sitting here on the mic. I'm like, oh yeah, I need to talk. Um, um, <laughs> I do. I have a question. So as um, it being our 25th anniversary year, I feel like it's uh, the perfect time, like you said, to look back on things retrospectively and have a moment to kind of look at the progress of the journey. Um, a lovely milestone anniversary for that. So what do you feel like you are most proud of when you look back on the 25 years of LDI? I'm most proud that the program is ever bit as alive today yeah. as it was 25 years ago, that people are still signing up, they're still coming through, they're still having an exceptional experience. So we just have to keep on keeping on. Yeah. It's not broke. It's a formula that has worked and has transformed people for 25 years. I love that. So what is your hope for the next 25 years? More of the same. Yeah. Keep on keeping on, essentially. Yes. I love it. I, I think it's, it's very rare that you find a magical formula that can work for so long. Um, and like you said, there's obviously been tweaks as you move along, but the assessments are still so powerful. And there's the core, no need to change. the yeah. core of what the program is Means. and does is absolutely. Identical. And I think again, that's a very rare thing. You guys really found this magic, um, and you keep bringing executive level leaders into that magic and making great impact for our city. And so when I think about, you know. We are New Memphis, and what a New Memphis kind of means in preparing the leaders of our city, it's it's just that, to keep doing the hard work, to keep looking inward. Um, is that kind of what you envision as well? Yes. I think, you know, people have to renew and refresh. People work very hard, and we create what I've been calling pause when leaders take the time to take three and a half days mm -hmm. and really spend it in self-reflection mm -hmm. and really are caused to think about how they're living their lives and what kind of legacy they want to leave, what kind of legacy they want to leave to their family, and of course, what kind of legacy do they want to leave to Memphis? Mm -hmm. I know the Community Foundation has a saying that I've adopted for a very long time. We put people in touch with their gifts at LDI, and the Community Foundation says, remember, it's not a gift unless you give it away. Oh. Oh, that's a good one, too. It's all about, there's like a through line with everything you say, and it's, you're taking stuff that is inherently true for you as a leader, things you're uncovering for yourself, but the point is not to kind of hoard all of that for yourself to get ahead, right? The point of you developing yourself as a leader, the point of you unlocking your gifts is to share them with your team, with the people that you work for, with the people that you are in touch with personally, and for the organizations making change possible in our city. Well, I think that those of us that have lived in the volunteer world know that the happiest people in the world are people that are giving to others. So we certainly promote that at LDI. It, it, giving back is part yeah. of it. We're a very privileged group of people that come through these classes. Mm -hmm. And as 
the saying goes, to whom much is given, much is expected. And we certainly promote that giving back. I think that is a great way to go about it. So you have Linda Bailey leadership now is where you are currently. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that. What kind of do you work with leaders through that just in Memphis or do you work on a more global scale now? Um, I certainly work with leaders in Memphis, and I do work, uh, I don't have any international clients now. I have a very large client in Washington, D.C. Again, my focus is on teams. Right. And how do we make teams effective? And it's, um, I do a lot of training. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of coaching. Uh, I use a lot of assessments. And... I tackle uh, issues that are of concern to different teams, mm-hmm. issues like resolving conflict, better communication. How do we collaborate better? How do we in- integrate our teams better? Right. How do we break down silos? So teams face a lot of different issues. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing that, that I do is to diagnose you know, is there, what are the issues holding the team back? And to face those issues. Yeah. Diagnosis. I know. First step, yeah. I do think, I think that's honestly another true thing is that like, to you have to recognize an opportunity, I'm not going to mm-hmm. say a problem, but an opportunity before you can <laughs> try to solve for it. Um, if you're just trying to, you can't hit a moving target or you can't hit a target that you don't know is there. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you know, we have new issues all the time. I mean, I'm always creating new curriculum. Yeah. Every year I create new curriculum. You know, it's just part of staying relevant. Yeah. And I think that COVID certainly brought some new issues and I built a curriculum around understanding stress and building stress resiliency. Oh, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, actually, I did a workshop on that for New Memphis and yes. yes. LDI grads. So, well, our personality, once it's identified, say through the Myers-Briggs, which has is an pretty, assessment, guys. If you're yes. listening, that is one of the assessments <laughs> That's people a like personality Linda assessment. Yes. Well, just as predictive as our behavior is in normal times, we have a predictive way that we unravel under stress. Mm-hmm. So, understanding our individual pa- patterns, knowledge itself is somewhat curative. So people become aware of how they disintegrate when they're under stress. Then they can catch themselves in the act mm-hmm. before they totally self-destruct. Unra- <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's uh, building resiliency has to has a number of factors, uh, a physical factor, mm-hmm. a mental factor, a psychological factor, an emotional factor. So thinking through these and... I think, uh, again, being able to renew and refresh, you know, it's um, all we have as leaders is ourself. I mean, musicians have an instrument. We have only ourselves. And taking care of that instrument is so important in in building resiliency. That's so interesting to me. I think it's also interesting to me, like, uh, the curriculum, like you said, to stay relevant, that you create new curriculum every year, because I do feel like while we over here have such a great formula for LDI, that, like, 
on the flip side of that is that I don't look at me this way, Christy, because you know, I'm really fascinated with like the generational changes in the workplace and like the expectations that are there, different wants and needs and desires. And I really do think it boils down to the expectations of a workplace that are different, either culturally or by your age, by your generation, a lot of different factors go into that. But I'm curious as like a leadership consultant and coach and trainer, like what, if you've noticed more differences in things like that? In culture? I think more so. Millennials are now being the ones stepping into those leadership positions. So kind of how are you pivoting now to this new gen and then the Gen Z that will follow us kind of thing. Yeah. That's interesting to me. Yes. Yes. Well, we do have a new workforce and we have to pay attention and we have to listen. We have to listen to the concerns. Um, There is a lot more mobility in the workplace than there's ever been before. Mm -hmm. And I think we just have to expect some of that. It's part of the the generational thing. Um, So culture is is very important. And culture, I do believe, is set at the top. But it's set at the top after a lot of listening. Um, And that's something I help organizations Mm -hmm. do. What kind of culture do we want? And what are our values that we want to lead to? So effective leaders are listening to the younger generations mm-hmm. and, and, and listening because it is a changing workshop, uh, workplace. The needs are different. The thinking is different. So, you know, it's not always business as usual. I think it's part of this broadened thinking that effective people have to have is to always be committed to growing and learning your perspective and being able to look at things from multiple perspectives. Where we fail is when we see our problems only from one perspective. Mm -hmm. So you said something about being a highly effective leader and being able to see different angles. So do you think, I'm probably asking this in a weird way, but do you feel like not just seeing all of the angles is the answer? I feel like you have to be able to then dilute all, like gather all that information and still come to a conclusion as a leader, which is, I feel like sometimes some of the more tricky and nuanced parts of being um, a leader is to figure out, to be able to see all of those perspectives and then still pick a way forward. A singular path, yeah. Right. It's complicated. (laughs) You're in a complicated relationship. Yeah. (laughs) It is complicated. And I think, first of all, we need to know where we're strong and where we are weak Mm -hmm. because we tend... Uh, without knowing better to hire people that are like we are it's an ego thing we're attracted to people that think the way we do like yeah (laughs) so understanding that from the get-go and um, again it's back to this leader having the humility and the reverence to understand they don't have all the answers Mm -hmm. and it's making the most of the talent you have. It's almost like a chess game, moving your talent around mm-hmm. so that you have a balanced view. And then it's the ability to, to listen. At the end of the day, you're the leader, and, you know, somebody's got to make the decision. 
but it's uh, it's it's just a broadened perspective mm-hmm. is a lot of leadership, I think. Absolutely. I will say before coming to New Memphis, I have never had as much self-awareness as I do since working here um, between assessments that we've taken like DISC, MBTI, um, all of those lovely things that you guys can look more into. Um, but it's just, there's this inherent knowledge that comes with it. And I really like that you spoke on the kind of like attracts like people want to hire people. That's not how you create a successful future you need that talent that is different from you that can bring a different perspective to the table no matter what like what that means like that can be an age thing that can be a sector thing that can be everybody has a different background that they're bringing to the table why do you want to hire someone who brings the exact same perspective you do exactly well things will move quicker you know yeah less friction yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's fair that is fair fair point but I do think we create the most successful future I think people sometimes operate out of fear when they bring someone on and they're like, oh, this person's super talented. They're going to take my job. To me, I'm like, shouldn't you want that? Shouldn't you want the person on your team to be so talented they could take your job? It doesn't mean they're going to. A lot of people don't understand the concept that you become powerful by making other people powerful. And that is one of the things that blows my mind sometimes when, because we do work with so many organizations and talent and just across the field. And that is one thing that perpetually always sticks out to me is I'm like, it's almost sometimes leaders are fearful of the talent that I'm going to use the word under them, but I hate that saying, but, you know, hierarchically under, like, it's almost like they're scared to empower them too much. And I'm like, that. no, you're missing the point. I think if you don't, then it's just like a dictatorship. <laughs> well, <laughs> there needs to be a clear path. So the leader at the top is setting the precedent, setting the through line of what the organization's goals are, what they operate under. But then it's the team's job to make sure we get there. Like, it's all about that team autonomy. I feel like in making sure your team is confident and successful in leading your vision and executing it. I mean... That's the reason effective people need leadership development training. You don't have all the answers. Yes. No one has all the answers. It would be ridiculous to think that they do. And the ability to have enough confidence that you allow people to disagree and challenge you. Love it's uh, when there's enough trust, conflict it can be a very productive thing. Oh, that's true. I like that too. Like being devil's advocate, like going through all the different options and things like that can yes. actually spark better outcomes. Yeah. Well, it's, um, you know, leadership is not about always protecting the status quo. It is about rocking the boat. Yeah. If you're going to take people to somewhere, a better place, yeah. Yeah. you have to rock the boat and you have to challenge the process. Yeah. It's interesting though. I definitely... I know y'all can't see my face, but I, 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 I winced a little bit because, yeah. I mean, I am, I don't do well with change, even though that's the one constant in life is change. Yeah. And so I think that is also interesting that like the fact that I winced when you said that, that you have to rock the boat a little bit is proof that operating out of fear is not any decision made yeah. purely out of fear is, I mean, obviously in a different situation, unless you're like under attack or something, then operate out of fear. But otherwise, like, it's just not going to be beneficial in the long run if you yeah. are operating from a place of soul fear and, like, status quo. Well, everybody has fear. Yeah. I, I've worked with very high-level leaders, and everyone, everyone 
that's effective has had to step through some fear. It's just, do you have the courage to make that step? I love that. I think what you've done for me just now, just like, is conflict and fear are not dirty words. They're words that can oftentimes lead to success. And I think as someone who does also have a lot of fear and imposter syndrome sometimes, like I know I am talented and skilled, but sometimes that little voice in your head gets in there and you got to shake it off. But like to sit here and like have this conversation with you, I think I'm I'm obviously if you guys could see the red ink notes that I have in front of me right now from things Linda has said. But that's one thing that I'm definitely going to take away from this conversation is like that's just part of it. Fear and uncertainty are part of it. It's how you kind of work through those things that are going to make the lasting impact. That's how you're a leader, really. I mean, you have to be a pioneer. (laughs) Brene Brown says at the end of one of her books and this is about fear, who wants to get to the end of their life and realize that they were always on the outside looking in because they didn't have the courage to step fully into their own arena? I know. Oh, my gosh. I love how, too, you said you have to step through fear, yeah. that every everybody has to, you know, be effective and step through it. And a lot of times I'm like, can't go under it, can't go around it, gotta go through it. It's, it's just like, you do, you gotta. Yeah. Can't sidestep the fear. I mean, you, you can't. Kinda, you gotta, yeah. Charge it head on. I feel like that this has been such a great conversation. Mm-hmm. And for me, I feel like there's a lot of takeaways from here. There's a lot of truth that has been shared, but there are a lot of very actionable steps, even for anybody who may or may not have already been through one of our programs. Again, we do highly encourage you to nominate and apply for any of our leadership development programs. But there's a lot of takeaways just from this alone, which I think is really exciting. And I know that all of our alumni have such fond relationships with Miss Linda Bailey over here. So I think this is going to be a highly anticipated episode. Yeah. And Linda, for those who may be managing teams, like full teams that need more help, then, you know, New Memphis is very invested in the personal leadership journey, you as well, but you work with those teams. How could they get in touch with you if they've heard something? They're like, I need her. I need her to come in now. Um, how can they reach you? How can they learn more about what you offer? LindaBaileyLeadership.com. Perfect. Love a simple action step. I I know. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Christy, do you want to ask your final? Yes. We have one final question, and we never prepare the guest. What does being a Memphian mean to you, Linda? I think the biggest asset Memphis has is its people. I see people stepping up in Memphis. I've always sat in a chair where I could observe a lot of people working to make Memphis better. We have a lot of opportunity, as we've already stated, for work in Memphis. Memphis has got good people. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want to be involved in Memphis, all you have to do is step up. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah that's empowering. I love it. We would agree that yeah. our biggest asset is their people. Absolutely. And it's Memphis is the best place if you want to make an impact. There is someone waiting to help you make that impact. They need we need people. We need willing participants to help problem solve in a number of arenas. So and we need your gifts. Yes. As as we've already. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Come share your gifts. Share, share the wealth. Share the love. 
Well, Linda, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. This was absolutely wonderful. I know AT and I are both as leaders in this org specifically are walking away with tons of knowledge. Um, and thank you for sharing that with us. And we, we're excited. LDI 25th is this year. We're wrapping it up. You're doing some amazing stuff with the classes and we can't wait to see what's next. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. All right, that's the show for today, guys. And I I knew Linda was going to come with some truths and some knowledge to drop on us. And she did that um, in a big way. How do you make people feel when you come in a room? Are they excited yeah. to see you come in? Or are they excited to see you go? Um, that's something I'm for sure taking, oh, yeah. <laughs> taking with me in all my relationships. So there's a whole lot of not just good to know, but need to know mm -hmm. information yeah. that Linda so generously shared with us today she did she shared so much and i just think it's all a good reminder that creating a new memphis is all about every day is a new day it's a new chance to dive into your leadership potential and opportunity and that starts with trust and humility and making sure that people don't want to run the other way when you walk in a room quite I frankly know. and you, you got to give it away you got to yes. share that love so, guys, a few end-of-show announcements before we leave you for today. Uh, as you heard us talk about, it is the LDI 25th. We would Woo! be remiss if we did not thank the people who are making that possible in terms of our sponsors. You ready? It's going to be a good list. Adams Keegan, Baker Donaldson, Cargill Cotton, Seabiz, Datafacts, Donovan Enterprises, Fogelman Management, LRK, MAA, Methodist, Nexair, Pickering Firm, Regional One Health, and Waddell and & Associates. Guys. Woo! Seriously, that was a good woohoo. I am so impressed. Um, but they deserve it. These guys are making this work possible, and we had to give them a nice little shout out. Um, also, for the future, we have a lot of events coming up. AT, what's something on the horizon people can look forward to? Uh, I'm very excited to say that summer experience is only halfway done, dear <laughs> listener. So if you have or know of a college student, um, a 20-something young professional, any emerging leader that falls into that category, we would love to have you send them our way for our summer experience. The next event will be on Thursday, July 14th. It is the Memphis 101, which is a always a fan favorite mm -hmm. um, of New Memphis. It will be at the Bluff from 530 to 730. And then after that, we have speed mentoring on July 21st. And then to close out our summer experience on July 28th, we will have a power hour Ooh. at Grind City Brewing. Brewing. Yeah. Wow, say that three uh, times right? fast. <laughs> Um, so July 28th also happens to be National Intern Day. Yeah, so it felt guys. like a nice little bow to wrap it's up like summer experience. It's just perfect. Yeah, guys. And it is our favorite price. Free. Yeah. So other than that, as always, you can give back to New Memphis by visiting newmemphis.org. And when we say give back, of course, we love your monetary donations. But you can also give back in the form of a nomination for a program. You can give back by applying for a program yourself or just sharing the word of New Memphis or giving us a follow at the New Memphis on our social channels. So guys, stay tuned. We have some great things coming up. Hint, hint, a little leadership conference action on future podcasts that we will talk about. Um, but stay posted to our calendar and see what all is up on the horizon again at newmemphis.org. And I guess we'll see you next week. We will. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs> 
This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.